If you're an immigrant like me, do you ever close your eyes and dream of some of your favorite foods from your home country? For the Caribbean diaspora, Carib Shopper turned that dream into a reality. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Carib Shopper is the largest e-commerce marketplace for authentic Caribbean-made products, where the Caribbean diaspora communities in North America can connect with a taste of home. Since its launch in January 2021, Curb Shopper has shipped over 28,000 products to 48 states in the U.S., as well as Quebec and Ontario in Canada. The platform proudly features brands representing both Jamaica and Trinidad, with more countries to be added soon. My guest today is CEO and co-founder of Carib Shopper, Cadian Preston. In this episode, we discussed why Cadian and his brother started Carib Shopper, how he went from idea to launch, the three most important lessons he learned during his fundraising and entrepreneurship journey, and how he plans to adjust his fundraising strategy based on what he's learned so far. I also want to note that towards the end of the recording, Cadian got really excited sharing some of the most important lessons that he's learned. And these are great lessons. They are fire, I guarantee you. So in his very Jamaican excitedness, I think he was either banging his chest or the table a little bit. So there's a little bit of disturbance in the audio. Ignore that. Focus on the message, right? I guarantee you, it's fire. Carry on. Kadian, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm really excited to be on this podcast. Our meeting was more than a breath of fresh air, and I'm so happy to be a part of this podcast today. Yay, wonderful. I'm happy to have you here too. And even more excited for you to talk about Carib Shopper and the problem that you are solving for the Caribbean community and focusing on value. I had a great conversation with someone you might know, Kevin Valley, this morning who has the Value Podcast. And we were talking about value, personal value and business value. So I want you to talk about the value of Carib Shopper. But before that, I want to know, Katie, and what motivates you? Solving problems. It always been. Solving problems. I love it. Always. So tell me, what's the problem that Carib Shopper is solving? Carib Shopper is solving the problem, Michelle, of making entrepreneurs, makers of product in the Caribbean, be able to scale internationally in ways that hasn't been done since the 80s, the early 70s and actually bring Caribbean culture to the forefront. That's the problem we're solving. For far too long, the companies that have gotten the taste of the Caribbean, the love of the Caribbean into mainstream markets have been the companies that have been, have been heavily leveraged, have a significant backing and have a long standing massive companies in the region. Outside of that, the newcomers have had a very significant challenge in getting their products and their brands to scale internationally. So now, help us understand the value of 
what Carib Chapel brings to connect those of us like myself who are in the Caribbean diaspora overseas with that taste of home. So on the consumer side, we're giving Michelle and many others from the diaspora who have left their homes, who've had to, they've had to dilute their culture due to access. And that is what we're resolving. We're making it that if you could live in the middle of Nebraska, where there's no Caribbean influence, no Caribbean store, but through Carib Shopper, you can get the products, you can keep your culture alive with your children, with your family, with your friends, and introduce people to what makes you, what makes us special in this world today and different. I love that. I really love that as a mission and as a value proposition. Because even though I'm in Washington, D.C., and technically there are places where I can go and get Caribbean products, I have to go find them. They're not my giant or my Safeway down the street or my Trader Joe's. I would have to get in a car and drive somewhere out to Maryland or wherever. And for someone like me, I would just want to have easier access. And what easier access is there than having your products delivered? right to your door yeah but the big challenge of access is not just the delivery is also being able to get it right i remember reading some customers comments on our site and they're like oh my god this is the only place I, i've ever found blue bomber soap you can find blue bomber soap outside of jamaica on my platform you can okay good to know the interesting thing about access is we're creating access to a host of products six different categories. We're over 9,000 SKUs now, shipped over 58,000 products throughout North America, US and Canada. Somebody like myself could get their Panadol or Andrew Salts, where I couldn't get that outside of Jamaica. No, right? And it's something that I know, I trust, it works. Even Buckley's. As you are saying that, I'm like, do you have that awful taste in washout they used to give us when we were kids? You can find that there? Of course. Of course. So when you think of our culture, right, it's the way we live, how we do things. It's the reason why our neighbors think we're cool. It's the reason why the world thinks we're different and cool. And, And we've had to, when moving away from home, we'd have to dilute that because you invite people over, you can't make them festival. You're going to have to make them something else, right? You can't make them where it is we've not been able to be authentic. And I live away from home for many years now, and I want to be authentic. I want my kids to grow up authentic, even though they're born in America. The culture that they affiliate to is Jamaica, is their Caribbean culture. So how do I keep that tradition alive without them growing up the way I did or the way you did? This is the way for me. That's my part to play. That's wonderful. And I really get the value proposition of what Carib Shopper is bringing to the community. Now, walk me through the journey of getting started and up and running. How did you go from idea to action? (sighs) How much time do we have? (laughs) Give me the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) Definitely. You know, interestingly, I worked for years in technology, built trading platforms, built APIs into 
major online systems, had a significant amount of knowledge base and had my own business building technology. And I think when my brother and I sold that business, we started to really think about what are we doing with the rest of our lives? How are we going to create an impact? Coming from the background that we do where our mom was an entrepreneur and the same challenges she faced in the 80s is still present today in every single island and in every single culture that have had to transplant themselves into other cultures end up losing that connection unless they go home or they stay in the communities and clusters that have a significant amount of people. And we said, we're strong in technology, we're strong on e-commerce. And we started working on building out Project Grow Local, which is Carib Shopper today. And I think in 2019, we started doing product market research, going from island to island, speaking to the merchants, speaking to small, medium, and large-scale business and really understanding their challenges and why it's so difficult. And I think after working on the challenges, February 2020, we hired our first two staff members, our head of logistics and our head of business development, and we kicked off. But we kicked off on our own dollars. So we didn't raise any capital at that time to build the MVP. And then COVID happened. And then we were wondering... Did we do this at the wrong time? Did we so do that was going to be my next question, Kidian. You launched pretty much during COVID, January 2020. We launched the platform in February 2020, so right before you, COVID. How did you navigate that? So interestingly, the, our whole game plan, our whole structure on how we plan to build the business before we went to market changed. Right, We had a plan to build out the markets of Jamaica and Trinidad, and that changed. I built a business in Trinidad and did not fly into that country until the end of 2021. I hired people, got an office, set up the business without going into the country in 2020, all the way to the end of 2021. So all our plans changed, Michelle, and I can't tell you as an entrepreneur, starting to do the building blocks on your own dollar, the fear and challenges we had to overcome. And one of the things I would recommend to any entrepreneur, surround yourself with good mentors. And I've been lucky to be exposed to good people and that have sticked around me, giving me solid advice. And one of my mentors at the time, which he's still one of my mentors today, I was telling him my fears. And he said to me, his name is Andre Bayo. And Andre said to me, go look up, Alibaba's history and go look up when their marketplace took off, when things changed for them. And I said, clearly it's relevant. And so I did that. And to my surprise, Michelle, <laughs> they took off when SARS V1 hit China and didn't go anywhere else. The opportunities that come during a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding the reasons why was a change in human behavior. You couldn't travel to Asia anymore to do your manufacturing or to buy your wholesale products, whatever you needed, you couldn't do it. And so while that version didn't spread internationally, it certainly was very impactful in China and certainly Asian territories. And so 
after reading that, after doing my research on that, then it was full steam ahead. We changed our business plan, our go-to-market strategy. We adopted digital in every single thing and we pushed ahead. And it worked out for us because it was the change that all the merchants who would be on the sidelines, I don't know if I want to go digital. I don't know if I want to sell products online. I'm good where I'm at right here. They were all open to the option as a new company coming in and say, hey, I can sell your product internationally. No, you don't know my brand from anywhere, but I can do this for you. And so it created the windstorm that when we launched in September 2021, we had 400 merchants, 2,000 products. Today, we have 885 merchants with over 9,000 SKUs. That growth came from the crisis that we had. And so while it was a positive, during going through it, it was certainly stressful. I have so many questions. So let me try to parse them out one by one in my head. So Caribbean people tend to be very conservative. How did you convince those 400 early adopters to be on your platform, a platform that was new and unknown to them? during a time of crisis to take a chance on you? So it was strategy. Luckily for me, my background, seeing my mom who was considered a higgler in the 80s, right? How she had to struggle, wheel and deal for people to respect her, right? And didn't take the first no, wasn't afraid to get a no, wasn't afraid to push all the boundaries to become a millionaire in our family by sheer hard work, it was always instilled in me. So the strategy was we started hiring people who had industry respect in the islands. So our key hire in business development in Jamaica was very respected, sat on boards on JMEAA, Jamaica Manufacturers Association, was well known. Same thing in Trinidad and we convinced them that they should be a part of what we're building and they and they bought into our vision and they helped us push. So we went with strategy and sheer brute force and also leveraging the tide that was rolling in for us. Now let's talk about how you manage that stress and what are some of the strategies and tactics that you use to keep your mind right as you're pushing forward in this season of uncertainty when you were launching during a pandemic, trying and pivoting and rethinking this whole strategy, how did you remain sane? (laughs) So this is not my first rodeo. So that was a good thing. Understanding that all you need is one decision, one change for things to start going your way. You could have a hundred no's and one yes changes the whole thing. Understanding that people are sheep. So once you start building momentum, how you use that momentum to gain traction is your skill set. And then also understanding my strength in that I'm an executor and knowing that it's not going to be easy. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So yes, tough days. I wanted to throw my computer out the window days. I wanted to go for a run and don't stop and just say, forget this and just go chill and relax. But this business for me, and for my team, interestingly, which is the greatest benefit for me that I actually work with a team that actually loves what we do, no matter how hard it is, and actually believes in the mission, because we actually feel like we're making a change. At success, 
we're going to make an impactful change in the region. And so having that feeling, those are the things that get us up at five o'clock in the morning. Those are the things that I'll jump on a plane two days ago and jump on a plane two days later and I'll be on a plane next week and we'll have a team meeting on Friday where everybody is smiling just because of the milestones that we have hit and we're coming out of it with bumps and bruises, but we still know that we accomplished something significant. I'm speaking with Kadian Preston, the co-founder and CEO of Carib Shopper, the Caribbean's leading e-commerce platform that allows Caribbean merchants to sell their products to consumers globally. Kadian, what are the three most important lessons you've learned during this journey with Carib Shopper? Number one lesson Clearly, we started when there was a lot of doubt, when the world thought the world was imploding, right? And even if you felt like you had a great idea, it could be challenged because of what was happening around us. Really take the time to analyze your business, your principles, and not be afraid to make changes, adapt quickly, and not being afraid to be wrong. So I say that to say, being quickly able to pivot the strategy that we had, even on paper, on the whiteboard, it looked great because of the times and adapt what was in front of us, opening our country, opening business in our country and never putting foot in that country. I did not set foot on that country for two years and operated a business. I think everybody around me was like, let's not do that. Their travel restrictions are so good. Now it's one of our top performing islands. So that's number one. I can get really long-winded in this and I really have to be concise. Number two is when you're building a business, really understand at the core what your value is. If you're not creating value for your consumer, for the business or whatever you're doing, really take the step back and think about it. What value are you creating for this sector? Think of the value creation along the chain. Understand what it is you're doing because the road is not going to be easy. And if you can't wake up in the morning to say, I want to keep on fighting, then you've lost the war before you even begin the fight. And number three? Number three, build a solid team. You can't do it alone. Build a solid team. Don't go the conventional ways of saying, okay, I need a team. I need a CFO. I need a finance person, I need an administrator, really take a look at your business and understand what the needs of your business are and where the weaknesses are and really craft the position for that. You'll find that when you start thinking about team in a way where you're looking at the needs of the business and where the value is created, you'll stop thinking about positions in a very traditional format. We have four traditional positions in our company today. Everything else has been fit based on the need of the business. And we've found talent. And one of the key things in us seeking talent is that they have to believe in the mission. I have to be on a call. I have to be on a team that understands that if we need to go to the airport at 10 o'clock at night, it's not because you're being paid to do so. It's because you believe in what we're trying to accomplish. So you're going to go the extra mile. I love that. And I love that you picked up on that piece about value and your ability to articulate that value to the people who you bring on board to be a part of the team and to be able to articulate that value to customers and also to investors, right? 
So now let's transition into that part of the conversation about how you fundraise for Carib Shopper. Before we do that, would you mind sharing the biggest mistake that you've made as you were launching this business and what you learned from it? If if there is one, if there isn't, you can just I did. I made a lot of mistakes and there's a lot. My most impactful would be take the signs when things aren't working, cut it loose before it becomes a sore. Don't try to... When you're in a bad situation, a bad deal, a bad structure, you know it, and then you're hoping to turn it around, and you have to really analyze the signs that you're getting, the signals, and if those signals are non-negotiables, kill it, and just know that something better will be coming around the corner. The faster you do it. Also goes the same for like personal relationships, right? When you're getting those red flags, cut that thing loose. Yeah, when you see those signals, you can't. And as human beings, we always try, like it's human of us to try and find reasons or convince ourselves that we can fix the situation. And sometimes it's the best thing to cut a bad situation, especially if it starts on the wrong foot quickly and regroup. And even if you feel like it's going to be the end of the world, it's probably not. I love that advice. And it can be applied quite broadly, not just in business, but in personal life as well. So let's transition to your fundraising journey. I know you started with your own funds. You bootstrapped in the very early stages. Have you raised funds for Carib Shopper? And do you plan to raise funds soon? Sure. We raised funds in November 2020, right? Before we even launched the product, Pre-Seed. And we raised $1.4 million. Our goal was to raise $2.2 million, But we raised the $1.4. We kept on building. We launched September 2021. And now we're raising our seed round of $3 million, which we are almost finished. We have 2 million secured and we're closing the round on the 15th. That's great to hear. What are some of the lessons that you've learned from your fundraising journey? Oh my gosh. Well, what to do and what not to do. Oh my God. I'll tell you this. The deal is never done until the money's in the account. The deal is never done. You could have a That's signature. What we always the deal is not done until the money you, is you in could have a sign. You could have a signature. You could have everything done. Contract, everything, legal. And until that money hits your bank account, it's never done. That's number one. Number two, the best lesson I learned during this, that I was fundraising incorrectly. I was fundraising incorrectly because I was overconfident that what I was doing was important to everybody else because it was important to me. And when I was cycling through investor meetings, not, not doing the research, not doing knee deep research on the investor to see if they were a fit for me and really and I say this, and this might hurt me in the long run, but the tr- it's the truth. And a very good friend of mine and VC told me this also, that investors are the ones with the opportunity. They get an opportunity to make a decision to be a part of your journey that could possibly impact their future. 
Okay. Because their job is to make decisions on where to place money. Okay. Now, if you go into an investment meeting with that mindset rather than you're pitching them for them to consider your business, if you change the mindset, then the reality in how you present your business, in how confident you are, in how you explain yourself, and how your business is perceived changes. And I think that was one of the learning curves that hit me after having a very candid conversation with a VC and him really sitting and spending the time to explain and taking it back of the value that our company is creating and any other startup is creating, whether win, lose, or draw, the knowledge that gained, whether there's something that's being created, whether it's that the investor benefits from in a way that he would never benefit from if you weren't taking the chance as the entrepreneur. So I'll say this as an entrepreneur to the entrepreneur, you are the big deal at the table. The investor gets the opportunity to come along with you on this journey of success. Pick the investors that understand your space, that respect your startup, and want to help. Money is cheap. And I didn't realize that until after raising, when this is done, $4.5 million. I've bootstrapped my previous company, grew to a size, a very sizable company, understanding that. It's my hard work. It's you're, you're going to come in and you're going to seed me. You're going to get a piece of my, my hard effort, the team's hard effort. You're not going to be in the trenches with us. But you're, if you're a good investor, you're going to pick up the phone. You're going to check on us. You're going to look at our update emails. You're going to open doors for us. You're going to make things happen. And the beauty about it is since my pre-seed round and now at our seed round where the company is growing, have a very uh, appreciative rate for me and the team. And I think our investors are very happy to see the investors that are coming in on this round and the passion they have for what we're doing. That right there, and it started with me changing my mindset to understand that, hey, I have something that you want. It's not the other way around. And I think every entrepreneur really needs to understand that. Let the church say amen. You just preached a sermon. Entrepreneurs, you are the big deal. Kadian, you're the big deal. Yeah. All of you listening, you're the big deal. When you go in front of a VC, you're not begging them for money. You're pitching them an opportunity for them to make money by being able to communicate the value that your business offers for them to make money. So that Absolutely. mindset shift is really critical. That's Absolutely. That's just great advice. And I am so happy that you shared that. What is there anything that you would change about your entrepreneurship journey, whether with Carib Shopper or with your previous business? Yeah, there's one thing I would change. I would have, I should have gotten my MBA, not from Street of Hard Knocks, but I should have gotten it earlier. So a lot of the lessons I'm learning now, I would have been a lot stronger to handle them before learning it the hard way, number one. But I still learned the lessons and you can learn them. You don't need to have an MBA to learn them, but you just learn them a little harder. The other thing I would change is, honestly, the things I would change, I think they're my bruises that actually give me the wisdom and experience to, to be able to continue and do what I'm doing. So 
I don't think I'd change anything. I don't think I'd change anything. Even the bad, the good, the bad, and there have been bad, and I wouldn't change it. Because you got learned more from the, I, I learned more from the issues than I learned from the wins. Yeah, friction is an opportunity for growth. Yeah. Right? As we're getting ready to wrap up this very delightful conversation, what gives you hope as you move forward with building out Carib Shopper? What gives me hope? Seeing happy customers gives me real hope. Seeing impact that we're making in merchants' lives, small businesses, medium businesses, gives me hope. Who we're surrounded with and how they're seeing the future gives me hope. Once my mindset changed and now I'm interviewing my partners closely, I'm making sure that you're a fit for me, not the other way around. Just seeing that landscape change and just that dynamic I'm very hopeful for it because I, I see I see better partnerships on the table. I see better collaboration on the table. I see better investors who really understand where we need to be. And I'm also seeing team members as we've grown to really understand the, our business better, the challenges better. Now we're going into January 2023, we'll make our third year. The maturity of our business gives me real excitement. I love that. And I like that you talk about your customers giving you hope. Tell the people who are listening more about where they can shop at Carib Shopper. And I've already told me that you might have a discount code for them that I will put in the show notes. So go ahead and talk about Carib Shopper, where to find it, where to find you on socials, where to learn more about the business, all that good stuff. So for being on this podcast, which is, again, selective because this is a podcast that focuses around entrepreneurs, Caribbean people run by a superstar Caribbean woman with an amazing story. I would love to interview you so the audience can hear your story one of these days. So let me know if that's a possibility. It done already. Done. Just let yeah. me know where to sign up. All right. We'll just, we'll just pick the time on the calendar and make it happen. But for the audience listening, you can find Carib Shopper at caribshopper.com www.caribshopper.com online, or you can find us on any social media at Carib Shopper. And because you're listening to this podcast, WTF Podcast gets 22% discount and use the code WTF22 and get 22%. Can we make it 23? So we'll make it WTF23. And when this podcast airs, it will be running for that entire month. All right. Now, listeners, you can't say I never did nothing nice for you, all right? That's right. And they have to big you up. They have yeah, to write a comment. They have to big you up. To my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't keep good content to yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know by rating, reviewing, and sharing this episode with three friends. Because after all, sharing is caring, right? Subscribe to the podcast at its new home on the Alive Podcast Network. And you can find the Alive Podcast app in the Apple Store, soon to come in the Android Store. Make sure that you are following this podcast or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And to be a guest or a sponsor of the podcast, email me at worthofunding at 
gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at words the funding underscore podcast. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn. And the show also has a page on LinkedIn. So follow us there. Join me next Friday for another episode.